A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know, gone are the days where you have to try and dance the beat of somebody else's drum and fit within a box. Human ingenuity finds a crack and grows a flower. You know, in an amazing fashion show, of course, it's a connection between the audience and the, and what they're seeing. So your challenge is to duplicate that in a digital format. It was to put the whole process that nobody really gets to see front and centre and to really reverence that process. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. This week, our editor-at-large sits down with the groundbreaking fashion designer Gareth Pugh, who first burst onto the international fashion scene in 2003 and has recently relaunched his business after some time away. It's the perfect time for Gareth to be back in fashion as he was an early innovator in fashion presentation, working on breakthrough films with the image maker Nick Knight. In the latest episode of the BOF podcast, Garrett discusses the current state of the industry and what it means for young designers and how he considers fashion film to be a medium with great potential. Here's Gareth Pugh, Inside Fashion. Hello, everybody. I'm talking to Gareth Pugh today. We are all on a high, well, the people who have experienced it are on a high after the movie that he made with Nick Knight that he screened instead of, well, actually, it's not instead of a fashion show because he left the industry in September 2018. He stepped away, as he said, 
and he has made a decision to come back at this particular time. It's a meaningful decision because it speaks volumes about how he feels about what he has done over the years and what he will do and the meaning of really the meaning of why so many of us are in this business. So Gareth, welcome. It's so good to see you. I'm loving the look. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's nice to see you. It's been a while. <laughs> so we're in a period of, you call the movie The Reconstruction. Yeah. But this is more than that, I feel. I mean, the reconstruction suggests building, rebuilding something you'd already done. Looking at the film and thinking about where you where you have been in your career, this feels like more than a reconstruction in a way. This this is like a reinvention. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a difficult year. Let's say that. And you know, you said we kind of, you know, we. My last show was in September two thousand eighteen. We kind of sidestepped showing simply because we'd finished working with our Italian partners. We kind of felt we wanted to stretch our legs creatively and do other things. The season after that, September, we did. We worked on the relaunch of Claude Montana. You know, fashion's always been and always, I think, will be my first love. So it's kind of never too far away. But the decision really to do this now, back in March, just before lockdown, we were lucky enough to be able to buy back the percentage of my trademark that both Rick Owens and my Italian factory kind of part owned, had always part owned. And, you know, it was all a very amicable kind of separation of ways, but it really was this kind of light at the beginning of a very dark tunnel that kind of offered us a possibility of kind of like, what now? Like, what do we do now? And every, when everything felt like, you know, the kind of these tectonic plates kind of shifting around you, I guess we wanted to do something and be part of the conversation again. You know, everyone's talking about this idea of a new normal. And I, I do hope that's, that's not just talk. And that I think that, or I hope that there will be kind of this want or need to kind of address what things will look like. But I, I felt like we really wanted or needed to be part of this conversation now because I do think this idea of a new normal will coalesce very quickly. So the decision to kind of, I mean, you know, we, our, one of me and Carson's favourite expressions is go hard or go home. It was quite an easy decision, I guess, for both of us to, you know, want to get back into this conversation now, especially when it feels like it's a time when there are no rules and there are no, there's no right or wrong answer. And that's kind of like our MO, that's kind of, I guess, an, a space in which we feel like we really have our strength. So that was the reason to, I guess, do it, do it and do it now. But also the idea of reconstruction is kind of like, you know, in order to build a new, one must kind of destruct or knock down what has gone before. You know, even back in 2009, when I made my first film to replace a short the, on the parish schedule with Ruth Hogburn, it's kind of like the amount of lies, little white lies we had to tell the Chambres and Decal to just get that on schedule was, you know, it's kind of beggar's belief that, you know, 10 years later, everyone's like, oh, let's make a film. Um, so I guess it's kind of like trying to, you know, gone are the days where you have to try and dance the beat of somebody else's drum and fit within a box. It kind of feels like right now there is a real opportunity to do something new. So that's kind of why we wanted to do it. In the movie, you do make the, the point that there are designers who make clothes and there are designers who build worlds. Yes. And the reconstruction is a very conscious recreation of a world all the way down the line you've got not just nick but you've got a digital artist and you've got you know the way the film is put together you have 
the process in the studio. You have the Nick photo shoot, and then you have a digital mm. insertion, which kind of reminds me of Ozymandias. You know, that, mm. that Shelley poem I saw two, well, I can't remember, trunks of stone in the desert all alone or something like that. There's this real sense of, from the intimacy of making the clothes and creating the image with the hair and the makeup people, it ends in this desolate grandeur. And I thought, wow, that is such a, a process. I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen the reconstruction, it is on YouTube and it give it that hour. It's really an education, like, like the film that Nick made with John Galliano as well at Maison. Mm. They're educations in the creative process. But I think also more than that as well is, I guess, we really want to link it in to, I mean, 2020 has been a bit of a shitty year and there's been so many things that have gone on and to not look at that in the face and kind of admit its its presence, you know, going from the wildfires in Australia to the protests in Hong Kong to George Floyd to, you know, um, the pandemic, all the way to like the US election. Um, and Brexit. And exactly, and Brexit. <laughs> you know, everyone forgot about Brexit. So we, you know, we started the film with that incredible quote by Nina Simone where she speaks to the idea that an artist, and, you know, it's kind of quite contentious to call oneself an artist. And I, I don't, but I just think it's fashion doesn't exist within a vacuum. And, you know, you can either fill that vacuum with kind of nostalgia for the past or you can fill it with... Uh, vision of the future. I do feel like that one must react to what is around you. So we really wanted to kind of weave in, because, you know, the whole project kind of was the whole, I started talking about, started talking to Nick, like doing this kind of back in January before anything really started to happen. So this project really has been born out of some kind of quite insane uh, historical moments. And a lot of the things that we chose to do, so I guess, riffed off of those things. So yeah, we kind of thought it was just quite a nice sort of bookmark in this kind of world of craft that we have going on at the moment. But you know, like Nina Simone in that clip you used, she said it's the artist's duty to reflect the times. Did you feel called back? Did you feel it was almost a responsibility? Now, you said when you started talking to Nick that we had the fires in Australia, so we had the sense of environmental crisis was intense. Yeah. And then obviously everything had unfolded from that, presumably after you'd made the decision to re-engage, must have mm. confirmed that you were on the right track. You know, if fashion reflects its times, the other thing about fashion is it also projects. You had this opportunity here to comment, but also to maybe bring an element of hope, do you think? I mean, it really solidified in our minds, obviously, you know, between March and late June, you know, myself and Carson kind of, we live in quite a small flat with no garden. And it's kind of like when you come out of something like that, it's like you don't want to, you know, you want a bit of hope. You want something to apply oneself to. You want something to, to get up for. You know, we were just drinking a lot of wine and eating a lot of crap, um, as I'm sure a lot of people were, because, you know, it's like, what is that you can do? I mean, we tried to work on a few projects at home and a lot of, we made a few films things for mutual aid we made something about trans rights but other than filmmaking and trying to have some kind of kind of foothold in a wider conversation that notion of working from home really didn't cut it for me and it basically having that 
period of kind of enforced inactivity, I guess, proved to me how much I love making things and being with my team and working in the studio. So it was a little bit like, you know, having this idea before all of this happened and then having this really long protracted period of being held back. It it felt a little bit like we were, you know, like a greyhound out of the traps. Um, at a dog race as soon as we got back to the studio I mean we did the, the whole thing more or less in a month and a half and we knew exactly what we wanted to do we'd spent our time fine-tuning it so it was just about doing it and it was kind of it was a pleasure to be back I think it did make us feel more than any time that it was important for us to be part of something because you know I saw it just feels really kind of sad you know like the fashion industry and it goes back to when I first did when I did my first films with Ruth and we replaced our shows with film there was such a divided um, opinion about that. It was quite Marmite in its, in its response. People either really loved it or people really didn't give a shit about it at all. And I feel a little bit, you know, like right now, we don't need audacious kind of sort of displays of wealth. Anyway, we could talk a lot about that, but we, you know, there's a yearn to move away from something like that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't apply ourselves and do the best that we possibly can. I feel like we're in a holding pattern at the moment and there's certain people who don't have never followed rules who find themselves creatively nimble to deal with situations like this who are really able to apply themselves and do some incredible things you know like Tom Brown doing that thing in LA and Rick doing that thing in Venice and you know there's a lot of also very young designers which is one of the things that I'm most excited about are you know, the playing field is on a level. You know, you don't have that established way of having to do things. You know, like young designers being forced into this idea that we have to spend a load of money doing a show. Mm. So you never had to do that anyway. But now, more than ever, you you really don't. And it's kind of like, what do you want to do? How do you want to engage in this conversation? It's interesting. You talk about the films you made with Ruth Hogburn. I remember, you're absolutely right. People would go to a film instead of going to a fashion show. And they'd be a bit kind of, well, what the hell is this? How do I critique this in the way that I'm mm. used to critiquing a fashion show? I think what's happened in the last six months is that all those other options of exhibition have been reinforced. So I think it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens. Well, please God, let it be interesting to see what happens. Yes. Yeah the show calendar ever reasserts itself in a primarily physical way. I have seen such good films. You know, I've, I know mm. Rick's show was live, but it, we experienced it as a film. And then Tom did a yeah. thing. All the young designers in London who made those smart films about their collections, your film. Mm. You know what, even, who was it who said the other day? Was it, it might even have been Galliano who said he doesn't even, know how he's going to go back to doing shows because in, in the whole in the whole filmic process you are there you the audience is there with you they're never there they sit in a in a on a seat in a fashion show but for the reconstruction for 60 minutes they're in the world you're building they're seeing a thing built they're seeing the finished product i mean i have loved virtual fashion week i have to say yeah and to your point about shows I'm not sure if it should be that kind of conversation about going back to them. No, I, I hate the word back. I'm allergic to the word back. So that's yeah. Forward. 
You know, for a long time, there's been a lot of talk about the assertion that there's something wrong and there's always been a want to change it. Now, now we've been kind of forced into a position where we have to question what that change is going to look like. I listened to a really great interview with uh, Mark Jacobs where he was talking about going through some sort of mourning period for the world he knew or the way he would present his work before. And I totally understand that. But I, what I really found interesting is that it was this, this idea of mourning as if that's never going to come back. And I think that's a really positive thing for especially someone like Mark, who excelled at what he did with Shores, to actually kind of admit and to really confront head on. Because I actually don't think this idea of going back to, you know, this broken system of hundreds and thousands of people traveling to you know, four corners of the world, two, three, four times a yeah. year is yeah. is the way the future should look. Yeah, agree. Who knew what Zoom was before March? Um, <laughs> but it's kind of it's it's totally changed. You know, the way in which everybody can interact and work, like Twitter, saying that they don't even think that they're going to ask any of their staff to ever come back into the office. Mm. I do have quite a deep-seated anxiety about what's going to happen to places that I love, like London, but. You know, they keep talking on the news about this donut effect where all of these areas around the centre of the city are fine, but then places like where I am right now, Covent Garden, where my studio is, it's just like a desolate wasteland. And it's it's sad, but when you think about it, it's, it's predominantly central London's made up of entertainment venues, bars, pubs, restaurants, hotels, tourists. You can understand why things are the way they are. But if you, so, have, but if you did live in London when Covent Garden was a desolate area, it was the market and it was colonized yeah. by first Paul Smith and then punk shops, mm. you know, and punk colonized desolate. You know, there is always rebirth. Yeah. You know, what, right, sure. what, right now we're living in this whole frenzy of all oh, the world we know is collapsing and, you know, going down and, you know, human ingenuity finds a crack and grows a flower. You know, if you're surrounded by desolation and in 10 years, it'll be boomtown all over again. Yeah. You make this very interesting point the first look, the reconstruction is, is built around, this is my sidebar, built around 13 Gareth looks that are each yes. constructed with a very, very particular principle and paired with a very particular piece of music. It is, as he calls yeah. it, a visual album. And mm. it's just look at it. It's it's wonderful. I mean, apart from the fact that all your musical choices are just fabulous. Well, I actually owe the first one to you, Tim, because you remember that you did that fashion DJs thing with Nick at your studio at Abbey Road years, oh, years ago. ago. And you said that I'd never, I I mean, you know, it's a bit before my time, to be fair, yeah, Dead Can Way dance. before. But um, <laughs> I think you said it was one of the first, or maybe it's one of the only, no, not the only, but maybe one of the first shows you cried to. It was like a Yoji show. Dead Can Dance, Horse of Seraphim. Oh, no, uh, Romeo Gili. No, exactly. no, it wasn't Dead Can Dance. Was it not? It was Cocteau Twins. I played... Oh, right. I played, you know, I, found... I played okay. Song for the Siren by Cocteau Twins. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But Dead Can Dance and Cocteau Twins were on the same record label. Yeah. And I love them. And that's how I found them, because I found an album called Lilliput, which has gotten both on. It's great. <laughs> Perfection. Now, you were talking about the first look of your 13 looks is called the Toreador, worn by the yeah. magnificent Maggie Mora. And you talked about Duende, the Spanish concept of the connection between the audience and the performer. 
Yeah. And obviously in flamenco, that's critical. And in a fashion show, in an amazing fashion show, of course, it's duende. It's a connection between the audience and, the, and what they're seeing. So your challenge is to duplicate that in a digital format. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Once you have that physical exchange, I guess, essentially taken away, it's like, how do you address that vacuum that you need to fill? I mean, I talked to Nick very, very early on about this, about, you know, when, if you have this physical, because we don't, we document our show with regard to like a video of our show, but everything else, pictures, you know, like Vogue Runway and all that kind of stuff, all of the work that we do is seen through hundreds of other people's lenses and it's taken out of our hands and it's edited by other people and put together in a, in a way that is out of our control. Take away that physical experience and you have to essentially generate these kind of this plethora of assets that explain this story yourself. So, yeah, we kind of, I mean, just to go back to that whole idea of taking people on this journey from the genesis to the completion of the project and taking them through each stage and showing how we make things and why we make things and the reasoning behind everything. When you do a show, you know, you've got maybe like an A4 piece of paper with like some notes on, which people might, you know, like sit on and they're all over the floor when people leave. It was to put that whole process that nobody really gets to see front and center and to really... I guess, reverence that process because that is really, for me and for my team, is that's the one thing that we hold dear and really enjoy. You know, the shows are essentially a kind of a, a necessary evil for want of a better word. But with this time when we didn't really have to do it, we had nobody really telling us, you know, you can't do this, you have to do that. It was an opportunity, I guess, for us to really address what we want to do. So going a bit off piece here, Tim, how do we bring it back? Um... <laughs> I could say that as much as this film was a reconstruction, and I did kind of say it was a reinvention at the beginning, it is very wired into what you've always done. And, yeah. and if, you, if you look at your work from the very, very beginning, even when, when you were using balloons to kind of, you know, reshape the human silhouette and those first shows out of St. Martin's, the shows that people really started looking at you, you always managed to make human beings monumental. Mm. And I think that this is something that's very strong in the film. There's, a, there's one look, it's look four, The Iron Lady, which you based on the Anthony Gormley sculpture, The Angel of the North, which is that magnificent... Loosely, Loosely, yeah. loosely, loosely, <laughs> loosely. But there is that sort of, that wing, that sort of huge winged sculptural sense and now that sculpture, of course, God, I forgot to ask you right off the top about what the government is doing to the arts, because, you know, that your film is such a, the way it embraces all these artists and mm. singers and creators, brings them into your world and has them express your world, is such an incredible endorsement of human creativity. And now we have a government that is insisting that ballet dancers retrain as cyber technicians or whatever it is that they're doing, which is just making everybody completely insane. We have a government that's a, that is as tin-eared and tone-deaf and oh my god we can talk about that in a little bit we can vent in a little bit but I wonder about the way you've always made people monumental is that a sort of 
I, is that optimistic or what is that? It was curious when I was watching. It was an, a subtext for me. Is Gareth an optimist? But we'll ask you. Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have always kind of thought about that with a little bit of a tongue in cheek or taken it with a pinch of salt because I really love the idea that you got that from that. But I always do wonder or question myself whether or not it's just like a gay man's vision of a woman. I think it's more than that, and I would hope it was more than that, which is one of the reasons why I like to work with strong women, people like Ruth, people like Katie Schillingford, to kind of round that vision into something that's a little bit more inclusive. You know, if I was allowed to just go off on my own, then it could become a little bit untenable. But um, yeah, that first outfit, I guess, for us, we wanted to open with something that was quite visually strong and kind of represented a lot of, I guess, what we feel represents us. So, you know, it was this idea of uh, representing the female bullfighter, but she hasn't just felled a, a huge kind of horned beast. She's kind of down this Black Hawk helicopter. So she's kind of a little bit like a freedom fighter, essentially. That's Floriador. Yes. I was thinking of the Iron Lady. Oh, sorry. I was going back. I was thinking of the Iron Lady. You know, because she has that Angel of the North kind of... Exactly. And this statuesque... I mean, by the way, speaking about the Toreador and that image with the downed Black Hawk helicopter, I was confused by people who wrote about that and said she was standing by a fire. She's standing by a downed helicopter. That's not a fire. I mean, the helicopter is on fire. Yeah. Or... <laughs> a fire. It's a helicopter on fire. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that street where you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. 
With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Well, you know, I'm talking about the line lady, just because that way that you render people, you render women, mm. women in your shows, so utterly monumental. And this seems to be, actually, I said reinvention, but this seems to be a consolidation of that, of that sense of woman as, mm. you know, massive, powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's playing to your strengths, I guess. It's, you know, it's something that we, you know, in a show and in a show context, it's very difficult to, I guess, really dig down deep into those kind of narratives simply because, you know, you've got this tennis match-esque sort of way of presenting things that you kind of essentially, you can mess around with that, but we like to mess around with it on the clothes and kind of stick with something normal. Matt Collins show really, really early on came to see a couple of my shows. And it was when I was shown just after with Fashion East. And it was when I did this big poodle thing. And it was kind of this ridiculous show, but we we didn't have any money for shoes. So I got loads of shoes from Dr. Martens and he loved the notion of having this ridiculous outfit or outfits, but grounded by this kind of quite normalness, you know, this just like Dr. Martin boot. And, you know, that wasn't a choice. That wasn't really a stylistic choice. We just need to shoe the models. But I, I think taking a step back about that and understanding those kind of subconscious decisions, it's nice to, I guess, in one sense, present this quite untouchable vision but kind of bring something into it that kind of presents a slight oddness that makes that untouchable touchable or relatable, which is, you know, I guess, again, the reason why we thought it was so important to make this film and to bring people into that process because fashion, fashion designers can be so, they can hide behind so much smoke and mirrors. And it's quite exposing to show all of that, crap and detritus and blood sweat and tears that everybody says go in it goes into things but you don't necessarily see it so it was really fun to actually put that front and center and to have that peppered with these little beautiful kind of nick knight moments or these john emily moments but the thing that really i think drove that film is the narrative or the story of the make or the the process but you know it's it's interesting that you actually ask enormous questions in this film, like huge philosophical, like the kind of philosophical dilemmas that have plagued humankind since time immemorial, which all ties into me with what drew you back to doing, Mm. what, what drew you back to fashion as a way to express these things. I mean, there's one thing, two things. I mean, I'll start with, I'll start with the biggest one. Your acknowledgement of BLM 
in the in the film there, there's this one little sequence which is called symbols which has nothing to do with the look it's not attached to a look it's just footage of protests and of the acts that initiated the protest the fury of the protest then there's a look called the dissident which is modeled by sakima and yeah. found the song you chose to go with it is weary by solange you also have sylvia rivera from the Marsha Johnson documentary. And these, these are the trans women that you acknowledge as being the very genesis of all the activism we're seeing, a lot of the activism we're seeing now. In that film, that is the most heart-rending sequence where Sylvia mm. is yelling at a gay pride march that simply will not acknowledge her existence. Yeah. And she breaks down in just tears of rage and frustration mm. and you acknowledge that in the film the, the ambiguity mm. of that situation that they were gay pride marchers who refused mm. to acknowledge a trans woman who had pioneered yeah. the freedoms that they were protesting that they were yeah. celebrating or whatever it feels to me that you touch on you kind of you go there with this in a way that it felt to me that's why you were drawn back in that there were things yeah you really wanted to say well, I mean, last year, myself and Carson made a documentary, another documentary, it was our first, called Soul of a Movement. And basically, it last year was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall uprising, Stonewall riots. So we kind of wanted to do something to celebrate that. And basically, rather than, you know, there's a lot of historical documentation about what the riots were and how they happened and you know, what's happened since, but what we wanted to do was go around. It's also a very American story, but obviously, you know, it's kind of one of those moments that created a huge tidal wave from that Genesis point in New York. So what we wanted to do was transfer that story to the UK and travel around the UK to basically talk to those people who were essentially holding the fire today and doing the kind of work on the ground as they were doing 50 years ago and basically show what has happened in those 50 years and what is because there's still a huge amount of things that we still have to do and it's kind of still kind of quite insane that that you know the whole situation was essentially kick-started by trans women of color and yet here we are over 50 years later talking about trans women of color and still these women being marginalized and made to feel lesser than who they are and yet they, we owe them everything you know, as a gay man who really didn't understand a huge amount of history until we made this documentary last year and met some really intelligent people who've got some really amazing things to say about what is currently going on. And we went to Belfast and the Gender Recognition Act and, the, you know, it's kind of, there's so much stuff that is out there that we need to deal with that yeah, we need to understand where we've come from, but we also need to understand what to do with that stuff in order to go forwards. I mean, you, you mentioned about Sakima and the Black Lives Matter. I mean, that little sequence in the film is, going back to your point about monuments, is, a I guess, a realisation that we had quite late on about each outfit, is that each outfit is essentially a monument, because obviously, you know, we had a little cheerful rundown of the awful things that have happened in 2020 and we didn't even mention this idea of monuments and the loadedness that certain monuments carry. I mean, me and Carson were lucky enough to capture that amazing Churchill box, you know, the box domain, because they were worried about people kind of pulling them off his pedestal or graffitiing or defacing 
but to see you know monuments for such a huge amount of people are so loaded and carry so much meaning that we we kind of essentially wanted to look at, at each outfit as its own monument its own monument to something so yeah i kind of hope that answers your question tim <laughs> lost off track there that was a huge to bring Sylvia Rivera, everybody does talk about Marsha B. Uh, Johnson, but Sylvia Rivera, who was by her side through the whole original Stonewall protests and so on, is, I mean, I know she's acknowledged, but her fury in that film, I find, what's the terrible, the best intentions of people never go unpunished or something like that. But mm. there are other things in the film, I thought, that one of your looks is called The Sphinx. Mm-hmm. And you make the point with that about what we leave in a thousand years as we look at the sphinx as we look at as we puzzle out hieroglyphics what will be left from now in a thousand years what will whatever entity controls the planet be trying to puzzle out from the relics we left i think we're not going to leave anything i think we're we're such a stunningly impermanent culture that i don't believe there'll be anything less but I, i love the fact you raise this point yeah, not, not everything can be so temporal. We need to think about what we do leave and how we define ourselves. I think it's really, it's really, in, it's a really important question that maybe we don't feel the need to ask ourselves, but I actually do feel it's something really worthwhile being part of that conversation about what, like, what is the point? Like, what are we doing? And what is it, like, what, where's the value in it? Where's the value in everything? If it's, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, like things like Instagram, you know, I mean, whatever. Let's just talk about that one for a second. But I mean, I don't follow on Instagram. So I'm, I've never understood the, the way you're delivered content from the people who you do follow. But I have sat next to a few people on the bus and it's just like flick after flick. And no, they don't look, they don't care, they don't read. It's just this stream. And it's like, that can't be what our, what our society is, is, is kind of equated to. That's not, we're worth more than that, I think. <laughs> so all of these questions, and you know, it's kind of, a, we did ask quite a few large questions in that film, but we're not offering answers. It's basically, I think it's a proposition. They're important questions to ask. And I don't hear a lot of people asking them, and that's worrying. You think fashion should make you think? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do it in the first place. And, you know, I feel like it really lifted me out of this place where I kind of felt I didn't fit in. And, you know, all that was kind of like stereotypical kind of bullshit, 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 whatever. But fashion for me, it, it is part of the wider cultural conversation. And it, 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 it does link into so many different parts of what what we're what we're going through what why we exist and the reasons why we get up in the morning it's if we're not asking those questions then I don't see what the point is in being part of it there are certain kind of I mean you do cut to the chase with some of your questions I have to say that the sorry that you Tim just to cut you off there for one second I'll just go back to my previous point and say that yes you can be part of it because it's about selling products we were able to ask those questions this season because we weren't selling it. Yes, I agree. Like fashion, when it's about pushing product, push that product. But if you're wanting to be part of it for a different reason, then you have to put yourself in that situation where you can feasibly 
be asking those questions and confronting those head on. Anyway, sorry, I just wanted to. No, 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 that, but that's very valid because I was just going to say that you have a look called the Shard, which is another monumental look. You make the point with that particular look that the thing will still be there even when you're not looking at it anymore. You know, that. that... Yeah. That was a really no, clunky way of me describing it. I think it, that's right? Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. I think, that's, yeah. I think that is <laughs> Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. That does a thing exist if you're not looking at it, which would automatically, I mean, actually, you can, you can carry that through to a really logical extreme where you'll go completely insane. If you're not looking at the pyramid, the great pyramid of Cheops, is it there? If you're not looking at anything in fashion, is it there? I feel yeah. there's an interesting investment in permanence. I'm kind of, it's really odd you should say that because me and Carson were talking about what, you know, we're doing like a high point, low point of the season, which we often do. And it's really useful to do it because, you know, when you're in it, you can't necessarily see the wood from the trees. But, you know, we did this this season, not saying that we're back and we're going to like do something next season because, <laughs> you know, there's no seasons anymore. <laughs> So who knows? Wanting to be part of something that feels really febrile and really temporal does not at all like sit well with me. And I really want to apply myself to things that I feel like either have real importance or that have a real kind of sense of permanence. There you go. <laughs> my, adjective, my adjectives have left me today. But yeah, I feel like that's the crux of the matter. Because we never really did very well anyway with kind of, you know, like playing that kind of commercial game that some designers play very well. And that's great. But, you know, we, it's difficult because, you know, like I often think that the fashion industry is an industry, as, as most industries are, because that's why they call them industries, are based in, in greed. And whether or not that's the greed of the consumer of wanting more or the greed of the designer to want to feed, you know, it's like an, or, you know, what's that, the snake eating its own tail. Ourobus. Indeed, can never pronounce it. And, you know, it's kind of like, do you want to be part of that? Yes, but do you want to be part of that for the wrong reasons? No. So we're just trying to figure out how we can still maintain a voice, be a voice within this kind of world in which we live, but to not do it in a way that we feel is unsustainable. I'm not talking about sustainable in a kind of, you know, like recycled fabric kind of way, because it's like we did that, we took that box this season, we didn't really buy yeah. much, we used offcuts. Yeah, we kind of want to do things that feel that it's not being part of a, a facile conversation, it's actually being taking things back to a, a time when I really wanted to be part of this industry. And I feel like, I think we've all sort of drunk the Kool-Aid or lost our way a little bit. And I kind of feel a little bit sad, but I feel like it's all of our, and I, also Tim, I wanted to have a little conversation with you. I saw your your little talk with Kathy Horn. Yeah. And no, you and Kathy Horn are not the dinosaurs. It's a little joke. <laughs> No, but it's kind of like, you know, this responsibility should be felt by all of the people who have a position of privilege within our industry to go, okay, what next? Because it's kind of a really, you know, you're, you've been there, seen that, done that. But imagine all of those other things with that experience that you can imagine. It's amazing. I am, as I said, I'm allergic to the word back. I do love the word forward. You show under the umbrella of... The reconstruction you sh you you show a lucky thirteen looks, 
the very last Lucky show is called Plague. And yes. um, obviously, obviously that's a comment on the here and now. Gaia. But also one thing that interests me about visions that are, that are dark. I feel your vision has always been fundamentally dark. That doesn't mean it's pessimistic. Mm. It just means it's dark. Well, our, our, our last look of the run of images was actually Gaia. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Because symbol wasn't a look. Yes. Plague was the penultimate look. It's all my notes. Your last look was Gaia. So actually, darkness and light. Perfect. In a world of darkness, be a light. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. But Plague, interestingly, Plague was that mask was something that I'd done back in 2004. My first ever show was Fashion East. And we'd revisited for a project I did with Ruth Hogman for Pity. That kind of elongated. And it's something that I made, I think that was something we made in February, January or February this year, again, before everything happened. So I guess it was, you know, it was a choice of whether or not, I think I spoke about in the film as well, whether or not we should include something like that. Because it did feel a little bit like it could be slightly contentious to include a plague mask right now in a fashion show. It was necessary to, again, that idea of confronting things head on and wanting to have all of the things that are swirling around us involved in this little project I thought it was important to have that yeah we kind of wanted to essentially the whole thing we did it as a you know you start off from this kind of quite wordless song this kind of quite nebulous you know it's kind of host to seraphim doesn't have any words it's quite heart-wrenching kind of yearning song and it take the whole album kind of takes on this quite you know, 90s journey of, you know, you kind of go through these peaks and troughs, but we wanted to end it on something which is quite optimistic. So Olive, you know, alone, she's from Newcastle, I'm from Sunderland, you know, was quite a classic back in the day. We thought that was a good message for the here and the now, because... The, the Gaia, the... the yeah. yeah, and to also end it on a... To also end it on... An amazing model, a model who isn't necessarily a model who kind of fits into a particular box. She's an incredible person and she's very beautiful and, you know, she's just a great person. She does a lot of work with uh, Sinead O'Dwyer and she's great. Um, Probably too obvious to say that for a designer who has created incredible coverings for the body, that mm. your last look in this show, which is bringing yourself back into the world of fashion, which you'd kind of left, you show a nude. You show somebody who doesn't have any clothing on at all. So that, that, is, that is the ultimate blank slate for the future, isn't it? Well, exactly. And it was kind of, and again, I, I'm sure we mentioned it in the film, but it wasn't supposed to be anything about Emperor's New Clothes, of course. But it was this idea of possibility, I guess. Yeah. This idea of a blank canvas and... This idea of kind of, you know, she has this kind of quite strange hole in her. And, you know, it's essentially, you know, a very literal interpretation of the idea of a light in the tunnel. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that new dawn will come and it is around the corner. But I would like to think that it was a different uh, reality than I think the one that we're currently living in or hoping for. Maybe hoping for is the wrong word, but I think there's a lot of people who... Praying for. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people praying for it just to go back to normal, because I think... Not back, not, not back to normal, praying for a future, praying for a world that embraces everything we need to 
survive, really. But Tim, I'm a realist, and I know that there's people who aren't praying for that. (laughs) Especially, um, you know, like, generally, people who work in fashion are so time-starved that they don't really have a huge amount of headspace to think about how they present their collections and that whole idea of an established way of presenting collections where you know like if you had money you could you know I often say this and I said it I think um, when I did an interview with Nick and Alexander Fury for another magazine but people I'm not you know like pointing fingers here Tim but you know like press generally like a blowjob um so it's kind of like you know when you go to a show and it's like razzmatazz and show me a bad Chanel review and whatever but it's kind of like there's a real again going back to that idea of a level playing field it's like money now is not king ideas are and I think that is a really positive thing to have come out of this and I just hope that is given a chance yeah I agree I told you before I was going back over something we a conversation we had in 2011 yeah when you were four yeah <laughs> You'd said you didn't deal well with change. One of the strangest things you told me was how much you used to love swimming in the sea. And you went out on a boat with your sister and you jumped off the boat and suddenly you couldn't see the bottom. Yeah. And from that point on, you had such a phobia about deep water. Mm. You couldn't even see the movie Jaws because you were so terrified. No, Titanic, because you were so terrified of water. And you know, a phobia of deep water is called bathophobia, which means that you are a bathophobe. Are you still? I don't have one at home. I've just got a shower. <laughs> are you still a bathophobe? Um, you still can't go in deep water? No, I remember that. And by the way, it was my, my I don't have a sister. It was my mother. Oh, my um, She was on the pedal and I was. Oh, it's even better with a pedal. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, you can get out really far. You don't really, really realise how far you're gone. But, um, yeah, I mean, I live or I come from Sunderland, which is a city that's by the sea, and you can see the sea from my house. And I love to be by the sea. It's something that I really miss when I live in London. I think it's really nice to, I guess, feel on the edge of something, to feel that kind of sense of possibility in front of you. But looking out at this vastness, that's something that really does scare me. But I think now I kind of, rather than being petrified of that, it's kind of something that, what's that incredible, not so much in Michael Caine's accent, but from that incredible film, all Michael Caine's in it. <laughs> Interstellar. Oh, Interstellar. Interstellar, where it's kind of like, <laughs> go gently into that good night kind of thing oh yes Hamlet. yeah I am scared of that and uh, thanks for bringing that up again <laughs> <laughs> no but, because what I wanted to say is in this new this reconceptualization of Gareth Pugh I just wondered if you were confronting all your fears well you know one step at a time but it's kind of like I think it was important to like we you said at the beginning we haven't done anything for a while now is a very very different time to be doing something in everybody kind of feels like they're flailing around in the dark and really not knowing what to do or what what's going on and we're in the same boat we're figuring out our own thing but you know I've never been to a therapist never really felt the need to but it's kind of like doing something like that film or the project we just came off with Nick feels like 
a bit of soul searching, a bit of necessary soul searching that we, you know, everybody needs to do at some point, but it just felt really, really aptly timed for us to be doing that. It is an important reckoning right now. You know, like we have to remember how lucky everybody is, you know, whilst look who we are, you know, so many people worrying, you know, about losing their jobs and losing their houses and it's, you know, coming up to Christmas and it's going to be awful for so many people for so many different reasons. But, you know, it's important to ask those questions of yourself because if you were to bury your head under the sand and just, you know, hope that everything is going to pass, the storm is going to pass and everything's going to be okay, then I kind of feel like that's the wrong way to attack this right now. Well, Gareth, thank you so much. And thank Carson too. I mean, the two of you are the most fabulously creative. Oh. I didn't even ask you about the whole other thing. That I met with the airport <laughs> talking about that, but that's another conversation. And it was so wonderful to see you. Yes, thank you. You too, Tim. I really look forward to the next chapter because it's going to be a good one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. 